is the Show With No Name podcast. Do you record this with visuals as well? Yeah, so if you want to put on some... No, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> the, 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 if you want to sort your face out. No, I'm just thinking I might like... move my ironing board. <laughs> no, it's, giving, uh, it's giving a very misleading image of the type of woman I am. Hang on. Esther, I, I take it you have... Oh, she had her headphones off. Why does your voice sound deeper? Because of my microphone. That's how my voice actually sounds. No, it doesn't. Your voice has got a higher pitch. My microphone picks up my voice better than my phone does. Okay. <laughs> right. How deep is it? Quite deep, like uh, noticeably deep. Your voice almost sounds like if you want to see your boy again. Oh, that's not good. I don't. I don't. I don't want to sound like we're trying to do a ransom video. We like Esther. That does sound quite <laughs> cool, though. <laughs> if you want to see, sorry, I'm on lockdown with my children. You can have him for free. <laughs> I, I am done <laughs> with seeing his little face. Well, I was just uh, listening to a podcast yesterday on YouTube that you had done, Esther, where you guys were talking about uh, schooling your kids. Who was it that you were on? Oh, why can't I remember the name? Was it homeschooling my kids with a man? It wasn't the Glee podcast, was it? Might School Wands? I have it here on my YouTube. Is it? No, no, it wasn't that. I've got no idea who that was. I'm starting to, I genuinely think I'm starting to lose my memory. I literally have comedians come up to me at gigs and go, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, hi, I'm Esther. And they're like, no, we've met. And I'm like, no, we haven't. And they're like, no, seriously, we were locked in that green room for like three hours and you've got two children. And I'm just like, nope, no idea who you are. It was Mark Nelson, you, Josh. It was from like nine. Oh, with Rob Mulholland. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The <laughs> controversial Rob, who I love very much. Yeah. He is like a giant teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like three teenage boys, those guys. <laughs> it was, yeah, but it was fun to listen to. I was really enjoying it. <laughs> I love Rob and I love Josh. Josh is very funny. Rob's very funny as well. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd met Mark until that point. Oh. Uh, in answer to your question, Esther, Sorry. we record the audio from the yeah. Zoom, but now and then there, like, for example, yesterday we uh, are, we had Izzy on the show and she was showing us her, Izzy Lawrence, I'm sure you know her, uh, yeah. she was showing us her gag book because it's blank pages, she like draws and that's going to be like uploaded before her episode is uploaded. So sometimes yeah. we take like a snippet of the video. Okay, no, that's fine. I Have you heard any of our episodes yet? Well, I listened to the one with Jojo. Oh, nice. I like yeah. her. Yeah, no, me and, me and Jojo go way back. We, we knew each other from, was 2006. That's when okay. uh, I, fir I first met her when I was living in Scotland, in Edinburgh at the time. She was, to date, the first stand-up comedian that made me laugh so hard my cheek muscles oh, were actually in pain. All my face was in pain. And I kind of wanted to heckle her just to say, can you stop? Can you stop being so funny? It was, but like, I, then it was replaced by another one of her jokes and more laughter and more pain. I had to go out and take a morphine. That's how funny she was. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of reaction you want. It I is. want people hospitalized. Well, as she said, you know, she's not, there's no booker that'll be like, you know, I'm not going to book you because you're too funny. This is the show with no name podcast uh, where I was late because of internet difficulties, thanks Orange DSL. 
they're the worst internet in Egypt, the worst. Okay. I, I don't really care whether they would get this or not, or if they, I don't think they'll hear this, but I've Instagrammed them, hashtag worst internet provider in Egypt on Instagram. I ran a long seven month campaign. Did they campaign. not get back? <laughs> Did they get back? Oh no, they would. They, they, they would message me privately on Instagram saying, hi, we're working to fix your problem as quickly as possible. And it took them seven months. I had no internet for seven months. Yeah, infrastructure, it's mental, isn't it? Because the moment lockdown happened and everyone was working from home, the internet here just kind of, we, we've got Virgin Media, everything just kind of went, no. And I was like, oh, good. Well, I'm glad that we've been paying all our lives for an infrastructure that the moment everybody has to use it, just, just like, nah, nah, this isn't happening. But don't you still have like download speeds of 100 megabytes and upload speeds of like something you're ridiculous. asking me something with numbers that i don't really understand so i'm just going to say yeah <laughs> but right. you are assuming way more knowledge that i have of internet download speeds <laughs> i don't think i know the difference between a megabyte and a gigabyte <laughs> i'm literally like <laughs> someone somewhere will know it i don't need to know it <laughs> Well, for example, an audio file could be up to a hundred and something. It can be like 200 megabytes, whatever. And a gigabyte is just a larger, it's like 1000 megabytes, basically. Yeah. Something like that. That's what I reckon. That's what I would have said. <laughs> you know that I'm supposed to hit test internet and that it's supposed to be triple digits that come up. That's all I know. And that's all I understand. <laughs> good for you you are, <laughs> you are gonna be you're a very independent lady and you uh, look at me go i can't honestly judge because i was like the i hated studying computer studies for gcse hated it even more when i had to do it in the b-tech hated it even more when i decide when my mother pushed me to do business computing combined honors with sociology at university but then something magical happened. I got into a bit of a beef argument with the head of the business computing course over a module I was taking in sociology. Then I switched my major and became a minor and I didn't care. You know, I'm not good. I hate computers. I only enjoy computers for gaming. I'll be honest. Yeah, I'm not a tech person. I'm very much a Luddite and I'm okay with that. I mean, I remember somebody coming up to me for a gig and they're like, did you, uh, did you get my email? And I literally, these words came out of my mouth. I went, yeah, I'm not so great with social media. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm going to have like, to mute my mic, Jules, take nine. I was like, I, I just, I'm like, give me a pen and paper. Like, I'll do it. <laughs> if I could do everything, pen and paper and in person, I would. The, the biggest challenge for me in the last year has been switching that my, that my networking mindset from I got to go to the club, you know what I mean, to to, oh, I got to get online and send a bunch of emails and I need to make a bunch of phone calls. And that's just never the way I conditioned myself to doing any of my networking or business. I hate, I hate <sighs> online communication. It's fucked up human interaction completely. Yeah. Like now people, yes. like if you phone people, like people that I've been, people that I've been friends with since I was tiny, who I would have interacted with on the phone for our entire lives. Now, if I phone them, 
they're like you just know that they're sat looking at the phone going well why would she be calling what on earth is happening in her life that she's calling me let's wait it's a bit too weird that she's calling me because that's like a little little much so i'm just gonna wait for her to finish calling me and then i'll whatsapp her and be like are you okay and it's like we'll just answer the fucking phone and we could have had this conversation but now we're gonna have this long conversation or you have to plan calls that's another thing that's happened over lockdown people are like so if i call you next week thursday at two o'clock and i'm like oh okay i'll put that in my diary and we'll do that (laughs) then we'll have that human interaction at that moment because now we have to schedule we have to schedule phone calls as if they're dinner dates it's mental yeah and everything has to be done on zoom as well now like you can't phone anyone you've got to see their face i'm like when did that become a thing like i'll be having a conversation with one person and then like, so shall we zoom i'm like no i don't want to put a bra on so we can just talk on the phone and i can just carry on with my braless hairy pitted self that hasn't washed for three days why is this going to be a thing don't get me started by the way, uh, I'd just like to quickly interject, Esther, 180 degrees different direction. Yeah, but you know that I saw your Not All Men clip, and that was genius, absolute genius. The the one you did at Top Secret Comedy. Yeah. It's just a short on YouTube. It's like literally just a short 27 second, 27, 27 second vid. <laughs> which we will post in the description because I thought it was genius the way you did it. I'm not going to spoil the punchline or anything. Okay. Be like crack cocaine. The first hit's free. Guys, girls, you got to go listen. <laughs> you got to go watch that video. Point is, Esther, I always hear this ongoing argument, especially on the UK circuit, about I hear a lot of people always saying the phrase women aren't funny or women are not as funny as men, which I completely 100% disagree with. And every woman comedian I've seen perform so far has proven that statement completely, utterly erroneous. Do you think that this whole women aren't funny comedian stems as some sort of like insecurity from the male crap mediocre comedians out there? No, I don't actually. No, I don't. I don't, I don't, I think it's come from a kind of long history of people just not feeling very com- comfortable with women being vocal. I mean, I used to hear that for, and you hear it from women all the time. You come off stage and, and you'll come, you'll have women who come up to you and they think it's a compliment to go, I don't normally like women, but yeah. you were funny. And I'm like, well, like, what do you and your friends do? Like, do you just go for nights out with all your female friends and just sit there and go, well, this is a bit shit. I mean, someone should have invited Tony. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to get any laughs tonight. Like, without the men around, it's just going to be discussions about knitting patterns and we've got nothing to say. So it's, it's insane. Or I have women come up and go, oh, I hate female comedians. All they do is slag off men. I'm like, and then they'll be complimenting me. And I'm like, well, that's mental because all I do is bitch about my husband or, you know, I'm, I'm very ranty and I over dramatize every scenario within my family for kind of dramatic effects. So my husband, bless him, takes a lot of the battering. But it is mental that, that I get is it. Your a lot. husband from England? <laughs> yeah, my husband's really ever suffering and enduring. He's always just like, <sighs> I was once, I did a gig where he was the only English guy in the audience. It was an Arab gig, and he was just sat in a sea of very small Syrian women. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and they'd worked out within seconds because I said, My husband's English. And they were like, Oh. And throughout my entire set, they kept turning to him and going, That's you. <laughs> he's like yeah whereabouts, no. <laughs> whereabouts from england is he from he is from an area called hemel Hempstead, which is in hertfordshire 
Oh, I know Hartford. It's like an industrial well. town. You may not holiday there. The University of Hertfordshire has a pretty decent American football team. I know that. They were oh, does it? League, yeah, they were league division champions for a few years. We're in gigabyte territory again. I don't know the words when it comes sports. to sports. I'm like, league as in group of players. <laughs> <laughs> division as in opposite of multiplication. Um, I think. I'm a female comedian. All I can do is slag off men. Everything else I leave to the men. Like seriously is, but, but i don't know i mean <laughs> so in my research uh on esther menino she's lebanese geordie mother is geordie geordie and your father's yeah. from lebanon where from do lebanon you, that classic do you speak combo. any arabic my arabic is incredibly shit well this is what i think when your mother is the is the immigrant i think you pick up the language but when your father is the immigrant and my dad would work abroad a lot. He would literally come home and have these spurts of you're going to learn Arabic, which would involve him sitting us down, losing his patience within about two minutes and then just telling us all to go fuck ourselves while he went and had a cigarette in the garden because <laughs> he was like, why can't these kids understand what I'm saying? So it wasn't like the most, yeah, it wasn't the most conducive to learning Arabic. So my Arabic's pretty rubbish. But what I like, though, is every time I'd go to Lebanon, and I've got family in Egypt as well, they'd be like, but why? Why? You don't speak? You don't want? I'm like, yeah, no, at two, I made an active decision to be like, don't teach me that. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I'm going to be a very British national. So I always find that quite intriguing, that I'm somehow to blame. <laughs> but you, it has to be said that there's a certain, you could say, my crusade, when we're going to get to crusade in a moment, because that's the name of uh, your Edinburgh Fringe special, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You did a Edinburgh Fringe show called Crusade. I did. But my personal inner crusade with studying Arabic, living in England, in London, was I had an older brother and older sister that, ironically, my older sister, she's half Lebanese, half Iraqi, and my older brother, half Palestinian, half Iraqi. I'm half Egyptian, half Iraqi. So you can imagine we're like the Arab League in London. It was always, yeah, it was marvelous. Covering, covering Jolly good fun. Next to the French Embassy as well. So it was always good. You know, we'd always get followed as we would, you know, walk in and out of our apartment building. But um, like I struggled with Arabic generally. And for me, it's my third language. I, I When I speak it, I have an American twang. But I have to say that, you know, out of all the dialects, Lebanese is pretty easy to, I always get well, confused Well, I had classes. Lebanese. I used to live in Dubai and I had classes and I was getting better. But when you're not practicing a language, it falls. And what would happen is, so all mm. my, none of my relatives live here. So we would come back and then we would be like, my sister went and lived in Egypt. She went and lived in Lebanon. She learned Arabic. And we'd all be like, right, we're getting better at it. And we'd come home and speak to my dad. And my dad would just respond in English, which I'm not sure why, because even when my relatives come here, they talk to my dad in Arabic and he responds in English. And they have to like scream yeah, at my... him, like like just respond in Arabic. So my dad my dad was the opposite. It, yeah, it's funny. I think sometimes I'm, I was talking to my dad about it and he said, what's hard is when you condition your brain to think of your relationships. He was like, like when he's talking to his brother, he he's like, in my head, I'm thinking in Arabic, so I speak in Arabic. But when it comes to my children, I'm so used to thinking of you in English that it doesn't, it's, it, you're asking me to retrain my brain, which I kind of understood. But mm. um, yeah, if you don't practice a language, you lose it. When you that learn it true. as an adult, I think. If you learn it as a child, you're gonna have it. But my elder sister, she spoke, cause she was born in Beirut. 
and Ooh. now she speaks no Arabic, but there are videos of her when she's tiny, just yabbling on in Arabic and she didn't know any English. So it's, yeah, it, it's a funny old thing, the brain. It is, it is. <laughs> like, I mean, I, 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 st well, I studied French in, in growing up in Britain and always got like high results in it, passed it in GCSE, passed it, got a distinction in business French. But now if I try to watch a French movie, I will be like, you know, looking to the subtitles because, you know, je ne pratique pas le français at all. But like I'll say academically, it's my second language. Because like when people in Egypt those give me grief, it, it's this thing where they'll always give you grief in all parts of the Middle East if you don't speak the language. They'll be like, why? Why are you turning your back on your heritage? Did I you know, listen I to the words of... Are you I do get are you... It's seen as a rejection, which I do understand. But it's well, not it, personal. It, but I ironically, do understand the kind of the, the hurt. I, ironically, this is something that's gonna I was watching a clip on YouTube about like the top ten what the fuck moments on Good Morning Television or it was something British and it was to and it was Pierce Morgan, obviously. Nope. <laughs> obvious. That's one <laughs> part of the, but the funniest part is that the second part of the equation was Tommy. Is his name Tommy Robinson, the guy who got milkshaked? He's like the racist yeah, guy? Tommy, yes. Well, that's the funny thing is that he said something that my mother said years ago, and it's freaky oh, as Tommy hell. Oh, Tommy Robinson did. Yeah, on, on, when he was like, when he held the Quran up and he was like going, Lord Balfour said that as long as this, and that's actually kind of true, like that Lord Balfour did say that, you know, like as long as we, Arabs have a close connection to that book that the British Empire will never be safe. But guess what, Lord Balfour? British Empire finished. <laughs> so we're good. <laughs> well, there you go. You can put that. What what you could do that as like a quiz question. What does my mother have in common with Tommy Robinson? What does my mother and Tommy <laughs> Robinson? They quote. both said the same thing and it's a Pierce Morgan, except my mother said it to Pierce Morgan at the television, you know, <laughs> you know, as our mothers do. But yeah, no, my question about crusade, I had a, like, I wondered if you might, you know, like how sometimes uh, movie directors do a film called night and then they'll do a film called day or they'll do three colors, red, three colors, white, three colors, blue, you know, like a sort of like a theme. So do you think that maybe your follow-up show to crusade might be called jihad <laughs> no <laughs> um no my follow-up show is actually called hashtag not all men um, ah. but it is a follow-up to crusade because in crusade i was talking about different elements of my identity and how people would get very frustrated if they can't tick if they can't tick a box with you so it becomes quite infuriating it's like yeah but you don't look like an arab <laughs> you're like i'm sorry or they're like um how can you say you're proud to be british if you're also proud to be arab or um how can you find flaws with motherhood if you love your children so it would always be you're constantly kind of battling these reactions or i do like you know we do the super muslim tour or i do arab gigs and people will come up and i've had it i mean not really i mean like i've said before 99.9 percent .9 i believe of people are great but i think you're always gonna it's always going to be quite interesting when you meet that that small percentage who i <laughs> i think like 99.9 percent .9 of people are not 
awful people. And I think most people would accept people when they meet them face to face. I'm not talking about online. I'm not talking about voting. But I think most people, if you put them in a room together, they're not they're not inherently going to hate people for no reason. I think people have to get to know each other. But I have had it where I've come off stage after an Arab gig or a Muslim gig and had right. comments like, but you don't dress like you're an Arab woman. And how does your father feel about you talking the way you talk? Oh, or and these are, you know, these are, but then I've also had it where I've performed on stage and someone, I've walked on stage and someone's gone, oh my God, you don't look like an Arab because you are like not ugly. And you're like, that is <laughs> a really weird thing to say to another human. <laughs> but you get, so that's where Crusade come from, was just kind of like trying to manage these two worlds. And I, that, in that show, I was trying to talk about identity politics. And yes, we've got these huge problems with like the far right and the EDL and this kind of racist language that's been accepted in the West. But then we've also got huge problems in the Middle East with the perception of women and how, you know, and, and misogyny and what that has been. But now in my follow-up show is how mm. I'm taking not all men, because what mm -hmm. I learned from talking about things like issues within like misogynistic comments that I got from certain people was the interesting reaction to Crusade was that people would then be like, oh, so what she's saying is Arabs and Muslims are misogynist. So I was like, no. Nah. What I'm saying is, is that we have different comments. Like uh, somebody who has a racist agenda is not going to find comment with me because I'm a woman, but they're mm. going to find comment with for my race. When we're doing a Muslim tour, they're like, why does your father allow you to look and dress and talk the way you do? So the reason why I came up with not all men was that I wanted to then start to talk about how the fact that misogyny or sexism actually doesn't have a link to one's race it's not it's not an it's not a thing that you're born with you're not born with uh, misogynist or sexist identity it's something that's cultivated you know I'm, i hope i don't sound like a like an idiot because like you know how you learn words and you hear what the definition of the word is but you forget what the definition of that word is the so persona of james bond is yeah. that because like because he's always described as the 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 archetypal misogynistic uh, like the stereotype of what someone in misogyny is so just to, for a layman's terms for anyone in yeah. our arabic speaking audience so what is misogyny exactly i'd say misogyny also is for like, me <laughs> i would say it's a fear of women so it's a fear oh. and, and in order in order i mean we can talk about sexism and racism and i think that's when you have a prejudice so somebody might say right. i don't think a woman can do that but i think for example if we look at regimes where women are particularly oppressed it's a fear of if you start allowing somebody to have equality you're then having a lot of knock-on effects which might not be great for the few that want to remain in power. And I think that's misogyny has grown. And I don't think any place, I don't think anywhere is exempt from any kind of prejudice. But what was interesting is that I wanted to show how we have got, like, I'm very proud of being British and I'm very, very proud of being Arab. We've got huge flaws in this country for a load of reasons. There's also mm -hmm. flaws within the Middle East. Yeah, but also true. you can go to the Middle East and find some of the most empowered women and some of the strongest women and women who are going to be in much better positions than women here. That's what I was started to explore in Crusade. 
And then mm. with the follow on show, I now want to talk about the kind of misogyny we got in the 90s growing up in the UK and how that didn't relate to the relationship I had with my dad. So mm. it was hashtag not all men. That's where yes. that's the that's the new show. It's all a learning that's... thing. You got to learn. And I think when I was doing Crusade, I loved it and I absolutely loved it. But when you look back, you don't know how people are going to respond. And it's really interesting what you say on stage. People read it a million ways. And True. only a fragment might actually completely understand the way you intended it. That's the brilliance of stand-up comedy is that you think you go on stage, you say something and an entire room of people are going, oh yeah, no, totally. But people are reading it in all sorts of ways. And their reaction makes you learn. It makes you, can't, you know, when you're hearing their reaction, you're like, oh my God, that's an interesting perception. And I didn't realize that's how that would be um, interpreted. So then you learn even more and you're like, okay, that's new ideas. I'm really blithering on. I'm just very excited. No, on the contrary. Uh, <laughs> no, on the contrary. Um, I love and adhere the wise words of Malcolm X. To educate a woman is to liberate a nation. And right now there's a lot of liberating going on with me being educated because I hear me the word, too. you know, when you hear the word no, not thrown just around, me too, but like me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag me, me too. Hashtag me too. Yeah. Mm. So, like, but not in a Harvey Weinstein way. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, in a, in a, I learned something today. Me too. <laughs> um, but I, no, but I, I feel the same. I feel completely the same. And I find, I, I find it really interesting that if you talk about maybe, for example, struggles that women are having in the Middle East, people are like, okay. Mm. So what you're saying is you hate being Arab. You're like, no, I no. love being an Arab. But there is a problem that, you know, if I want to do something or behave in a certain way, that is not appropriate. That surely is taking that away. I'm also very proud of being British, but it pisses me off that Arab still considered a really dirty word here. It's a terrifying word here. I'm not, I'm not going to go on the record of saying which country this is so I don't get into trouble, but they know which co the country knows who they are. <laughs> you know who you are. Um, there was, uh, you know, like how there's UNICEF for children. Yes. I forget what the acronym is, but it's the United Nations for Women, uh, Women's Rights. And they did a study that showed that there is a particular Arabic country that shall not be named, so I don't get into trouble with them, that nine out of 10 women experience, it can be anything on the, on the 50 shades of uh, harassment slash rape scale. And... You know, it could be just cat calling, it could be, you know, whatever, worse, and so on and so forth. When I was in the UK and I gigged uh, once and I was saying to the audience, like, you know, I'm from or that named country. And uh, basically, I made an uh, off-the-cuff remark joke to like, you know, was your behind black and blue from all the ass grabbing to the audience member? And she was like, what? No, I was like, oh, it's because there was a rough study about nine out of 10 women. So you must have been the one uh, that, you know, got through the, the net, didn't get harassed or assaulted in any way. It is generally like at the same time, like moving away from that dark area to like, as you said, not all women are oppressed. For example, Pakistan had Bhutto until she was tragically assassinated by men just goes to show you you know men in those kind of patriarchal societies not all of them mind women taking control but unfortunately the same way i just watched an episode of uh the crown yesterday and i got totally i don't know if you've seen it no i haven't okay well there's a spoiler i'm about to say i but it's also based on history 
So I did not know that Lord Mountbatten was assassinated by the IRA. Mm -hmm. Did not know that. And it's sort of like I lost my train of thought. How did I get onto the crown and Lord Mountbatten? <laughs> I don't know how the hell that happened. <laughs> I had the thought. I had a point. I was going somewhere clever, but it just about... died. No, I talked about Budo, Prime Minister Budo. Yeah, that was the link. I think. We're talking. So I don't know. You didn't know that Mountbatten had been assassinated by the IRA. That's what you said, right? Right. But I don't know how that links to Buto. This is what happens when I have too much coffee. Is it just coffee in there, or have you got? <laughs> okay. Truth be told, there is some cinnamon. <laughs> I decided to treat myself. <laughs> those really annoying women they're like i've got a spoonful of honey in my coffee because i'm treating myself and you're like oh my god i can never speak to you again <laughs> you're really vacuous <laughs> uh, well i don't know if you've ever had turkish coffee or like the yeah, Ar- yeah that doesn't go well with honey it has no, a does different go well with honey it does it depends how much honey you use. Let's get into a massive fight about it. This is something that my husband always, always like, would just be like, if we were with family and they're all screaming and he's like, oh my God, what's happened? I'm like, oh no, they're just asking each other the time. <laughs> they're just saying hi. <laughs> Wait, so what is your thought? Like, do you think that coffee can be sweetened or it can't be sweetened? I'm drinking coffee right now with honey. Oh, well, I, I'm drinking with sugar, brown sugar, because I ran out of heroin. Coffee with heroin, that little mm. snack, snack treat. Your lovely morning pick-me-up. <laughs> my lovely morning pick-me-up. <laughs> Wake up in the morning and get my, my morphine. <laughs> I, I stopped using sweetener in my coffee about a year ago. I mean, like, I'll go and get myself a treat, but if I, I can't do it every morning, it started to mess with my stomach. Sweet, yeah, sweetener is so bad for you. Yeah, well, like, like I mean, even just, like, brown sugar or, or honey. Oh, I see. Yeah, it was just the sweetness in general. I couldn't handle it um, first thing in the morning. After I had my youngest, when I was pregnant with her, I only way I could drink my coffee was with a little bit of half and half. And that was the yeah, little I think I, have. I think having children messes up your stomach anyway. You I've got no like thing phys- physically speaking. Everything. Let's not get into the giant picture. <laughs> but like <laughs> physically. <laughs> it does. It messes up everything. Just don't do it. Don't do it, guys. <laughs> Terrible idea, ladies. <laughs> no. No. Um, that's actually Yes be free say it <laughs> but what you don't know esther it was why that's extra fucked up for me to say which is i had i had two children i gave birth to two children but i gave up both my children for adoption and so like when i turn to my sister and she says to me because like i do something stupid like watch my cat eat paint before i yell at it and she'll say to me this is why we you can't have children right and <laughs> it sounds like an insult but it's become the biggest running joke. And it's it's okay. one of those things that brings the two of us a ridiculous amount of joy because we watch people say these things that have kids, right? And they mean them as yeah. a joke. And I mean them with the same intention. I wouldn't change a single thing about what I did. And it's for the best. That's mm-hmm. the reality of my life is it's for the best. But when you tell someone, like I just told you, people go, oh no you can't you can't say that to her 
No, I was I was genuinely panicking that you were gonna say that you had children and then like they died. I just thought it was gonna go somewhere where I was gonna feel like the biggest piece of shit. I'm so sorry. One second. What, Layla? No, sweetheart, I'm recording. Okay, all right, but I'm recording. Can you go to daddy? Okay, okay. We're still leaving that in there. <laughs> no, I have no kids that I know of. Well, that, this is the joy of being a man. You see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is until that until that one day when I'm old and gray and like so, well, older and more grayer, and somebody you know comes knocking on my door and be like, "Hey, Dad!" Oh my God, who are you? Oh God, you like I'm your what? daughter, Tabitha. <laughs> Why do you sound? I've been smoking a lot since I was born. The absence of my father. <laughs> With a New York accent. I inherited your American accent, father. That's what she sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> His mother, hey, safe. Oh my God, what's going on here? Um, I used to do that. Well, actually, that's one of the jokes that I used to do is that I used to say, oh, I've got two children that I know of oh it's such a slag and then I'd be like no <laughs> <laughs> women, women can't do that you see it's not quite the same this is joke you can't do in Middle East <laughs> well you see people say that but like but you've done it uh, no I don't, that I don't joke? think I've done I d no no I've not done that joke but I've done jokes yeah, where people have gone oh I thought that the audience would react badly to that and they haven't mm. and like the Arab kids in London like you pretty much can do everything people panic a lot about women saying stuff and that mm -hmm. is universal. That is, I mean, I've done gigs, you know, where it's all Western, uh, complete Western audience, and they'll be like, can we just, um, we don't really want you swearing, or you doing this. And then they'll have male comedians who can say whatever they want. People panic about what women say. And I don't, I don't say anything massively controversial. I'm not doing pedophile. You don't jokes. say the C word? No, I have when I've lost my temper. Or I've panicked. I'm talking about on stage. Not... Yeah, on stage. I have. You lost your and temper I've... on stage? I've not said it. Yeah, if somebody's heckled and I've and it's been flippant and it's a really drunk crowd and you just know that's an easy get out of like, I can just use this word and I'm going to be able to get out of the situation quite easy. But no, I don't use it regularly on, on, on stage. It's not a word I massively use, to be honest with you. But um, I use uh, fuck a lot and I'll say shit and I'll moan about my husband and my kids and my family and I'll talk about being mixed heritage. So I don't actually say anything really controversial. What's interesting though is um, mm. I have had people go, oh, we, we can't book you because you're not a clean comedian. And I'm like, why am I not clean? And they're like, because of all the stuff you do about sex. And I'm like, I don't talk about sex. And they're like, no, 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 you do. You do all that stuff about sex. And I'm like, been married 15 years, got nothing to say. Like, I don't talk about that. And they're like, no, no, but you do. And I'm like, no, I just, it's because I swear and I come across aggressive on stage. In your mind, you've just subconsciously gone, she's a dirty whore. So <laughs> like, I made that decision Sorry. without me saying anything. I've been, I, <laughs> I've been married for a long time. I don't talk about my sex life. It's something that I'm not interested. I don't think it, it's interesting. I have no jokes about it. Kudos to anyone who wants to do it, but it's not my oh. style. But it's amazing the amount of people who are like, no, because of all the filth that you talk about. And I'm like, I don't talk about it. I, I don't make any jokes about it. 
but I swear. And also sometimes when you're a married woman who has children, people are like, that's even more, sh you're a mother. Um, yeah. How could you say such words? How you dare you? Children, don't you understand? <laughs> yes, clearly better than you. <laughs> it's like I'm saying it on stage to a bunch of drunk people on a Friday night. I'm not waking them up in the morning going, hey, shitheads, what a fucking day we got ahead of us. <laughs> it's like I know the difference between my job and my home life. Funny how drill sergeants can say, come on, you shitheads, at like seven in the morning to a bunch of recruits, but a woman can't say it on stage. No. At night. No. Well, it's I think it's still considered quite a masculine place to be. Well, you see, that kind of comes back to the, because like, I know that I noticed you started, I think, doing your stand-up, was it 2015, 2014, 2016, 2016. around that time? 2016, because that was one of your first articles were published. Uh, like, what, how did you get into stand-up? Completely and totally by accident and to the dismay of all everyone who surrounds me bar my dad <laughs> <laughs> everyone this was like oh my daughter. god is this like your dad must be so embarrassed this must have been really hard and i'm like my dad's the only one who's like yeah do it um and he was brilliant i mean i had a seven month old baby and a two-year-old baby and i a friend of mine i was going a little bit mad because i was somebody who would have being quite happy to chat to people and being quite friendly. But I noticed after I had my son, I'd be going to like parents groups and just sat there and going, I have nothing. You know, do you remember that episode in Friends when Ross is just like, he can't think of what to say to that girl that he fancies. And he's like, just say anything. Like his head is like, just say anything. And the, then eventually he panics and he just goes vulva. Cause he's trying to do like dirty talk. And um, she's like, you freak. And that's kind of like what was happening to me after I had my son. It was just, it was weird. It was, I wasn't- You were walking around to people saying vulva? I was just saying vulva and screaming at them in the street. No, but I was just like, I've got nothing to say. I, I, I really feel like I'm losing a bit of spark. So a friend of mine said, will you come and do a comedy writing course with me? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. That's like once a week and it's a bit of time away from being a parent and it will give me a kind of like space to be a bit was crazy. your friend an active stand-up at the time no no she's she's a performer she still is a performer but she just wanted she did like different courses to develop her skills in different areas but i thought okay. they said at the end of this course you're going to do five minutes stand up on stage in a club and i was like no i'll be pretending to be sick that day and that will not be happening um, but I'll do the course and then that way. And I kept it a secret from everyone. I used to say, I'm going to go meet a friend for coffee. And I'd go and I'd do this course. And I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my husband, no one. And um, then eventually I came clean to my husband and I was like, I'll be doing a comedy course. And they expect me to do stand up on stage. And the first time we had to stand on stage um, and perform, I walked off and threw up everywhere just from sheer nerves i mean you you, you meet other stand-ups and they're like they're young they're in their 20s and they're all just like yeah i can do this or they come from performing arts backgrounds and then there's just me going what like i shouldn't be here and this is ridiculous so i was incredibly nervous and my husband was in the audience and he got incredibly drunk because he was absolutely terrified that his wife was going to go on stage and make a massive proud of herself he was just literally like sliding down a wall going oh my god you did it and i was like oh this is 
<laughs> this is a joy. Um, <laughs> um, but and I just expected that to be a one-off thing. I was like, I'll do it, and there'll be a bucket list tick. I did stand-up comedy once. I never thought it would turn into a career, but it did. And you represent yourself, or you've got an agent? No, I have an agent now. Wow. Yeah. I'm impressed. Thanks. That's all the validation I needed. Oh, <laughs> I'll just shit. hang up now. <laughs> I'm only I'm only and one of the eleven funniest comedians in Egypt, but you know what do I know? Um, well, oh, but Egyptian, you know, my mum used to always say that though. My mum was like, "The funniest people on earth are Egyptians." I, I was on a lineup, and there was another comedian who was Egyptian, and my mum was like, "Oh my god, he'd be really good." And I'm like, "Thank you." <laughs> he'd be funny because he's Egyptian. Was like, he? So, not so much. He is funny. Yeah. Oh, good. Good to see that he represents. Because, <laughs> um, you know, sorry, Egypt is... Sorry, what? No, I just spoke over um, Jules. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, I'm always curious because one of the things that I do in addition to working with SAFE is I'm trying to work with a number of different artists. But I'm, I'm really curious about, like, in the beginning of your career, I know you said you just kind of, like, thought it'd be a one-off thing. How mm -hmm. did you, what was that process like for you, like, like mentally and, and preparation-wise, or how did you navigate from that one-off to deciding to do a career and then managing that career? <laughs> no, I, I very much begged with snot running down my face going, please help me. Uh, no. How do, well, uh, well, I did the first gig and I was like, I want to do that again. And so I just started on the open mic circuit. But again, everyone was kind of like, okay, so you've done this once. So like, that's it. Like, stop. Um, and you're based and in I London? I just kept doing the open mic. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, because like London is, if you were going to try and break it into acting, you'd go to Hollywood in America. So like London is kind of yeah. the, the Hollywood of stand-up in the UK. Yeah, like if I was living in some little remote village somewhere, it wouldn't be possible. I mean, it would just be me at the local bus stop. <laughs> Have you heard the one? Um, oh, Esther, really... you're off to go and do the local pub night again. <laughs> yeah, and they'd be like, well, she just does the same 10 minutes every Friday, but it's all we've got going on. Um, so but i mean obviously you when you're doing the open mic night and and you've got two small babies uh you're putting a lot of pressure on the rest of your family um but this is where my dad kind of stepped in and was like i'll babysit i'll do whatever it takes for you to pursue this like go do it and i will bend over backwards to make that happen i mean it does mean that my dad was then suddenly co-parenting a lot with my husband which i'm not sure my husband signed up for he was like i don't think i really signed up to be married to a very elderly Lebanese man, but <laughs> Well, you know, you'd be surprised what you find on uh, the internet these days. Uh, you'd be surprised. You walk in a couple of these chat rooms and you'd be like looking for an elderly Lebanese sugar daddy for a young man. Uh, any takers? Any daddy, takers? I mean, he's, he's... Suddenly all these emojis start popping up. <laughs> My dad, yeah, he's a he's a brilliant grandfather, and so, but I, it was it was amazing. I got a lot of again. That's he's from Beirut. Look, he's from um Sidon. Sorry, where? And you just said look. <laughs> he's from Sidon. Uh, 
what you heard, Jules, was a little bit of the Lebanese heritage just going, let us out and say a word. <laughs> it's so funny, though, the things you don't realize you say. Like, you know how you yeah, would I mean, say, you'd, well, you know how you'd say, like, mama or baba after everything? Like, your, your parents might have said that to you. And that would be, like, do it for mother or, you know, your mother's asking you, basically. You'd be, like, going, you'd be like going yalla, go put your pajamas on, mama. Yeah. So my my daughter's friend turned around because I'm like, Khalas mama. And my daughter's friend turns around and she's like, why does your mum call you mum? And my daughter turned around and went, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, but why have you never asked? She's like, I just thought it was really weird. But <laughs> you do so much weird stuff. <laughs> it's just another part of her weirdness. The Middle East is full of little idiosyncrasies <laughs> that are never to be explained except around the campfire in the heart of the desert when no one is seeing it except Allah above <laughs> type thing. But when I'm away, the kids will say to my husband, can you do an impression of mum because we miss her if I'm away performing. And so my oh. husband does these impressions which sound make me sound a little bit like an, a cartoon Italian. He'll just be like, oh, mama. And the kid's like, no, that's not, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> She's, that's not, I'm like, I'm glad you just understand so little. <laughs> In his mind, he's just like, ethnic, just ethnic. <laughs> like, Mexican. Well, you can't hold it against him. He's from Hertfordshire. <laughs> It, it's to be said, you know, just, it's just one of these things. The, your, your I love your husband. English accent. Oh, I thank you. You know, it's a sort of brushing off the whole watching Prince Philip and that's gospel. Oh yeah, you do sound a bit, yeah, you do sound a bit royal. Well, I think my you. accent doesn't sound like that. No, you sound like, what are oh, they I sound called? like a peasant. <laughs> yeah, I've got an Sound like accent. one of the peasants come well, out that... from the local vineyard. That's another thing that throws people. They're like, how are you Arab when you sound like that? They were expecting you to sound rich, as if you have an oil well in your garden. Even though you live in Milton Keynes, you still somehow have to find oil where no one else has found it. In <laughs> Milton Keynes. Yeah, you know. In the land of the roundabouts. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how old you are, and I'm not going to, because I know that, you know, both Middle East and Geordies hate 20, being asked 21. their age unless they get ID'd. Absolutely. 20, 21. Yeah. 21. Yeah. You could 21. totally pass for 23. Thanks. You better not be lying. Otherwise, I swear, I'll reach through this camera and I will snap you in half. So. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you will. And no, no, you could totally pass for 23. I'm not joking. I mean, hell, Jules looks like she could get ID'd on, in any off license in the UK. I like, still totally. everywhere. <laughs> Whereas I look like someone that'll be like, sir, what was World War II like? You know? What was Napoleon like? What was the Führer like? Well, you know, the Führer was a vegetarian, and I will tell you this, uh, the Führer was a wonderful, uh, how you say, racist? He was a wonderful racist. What, he was a wonderful term. racist. Just a wonderful racist guy. Wonderfully, wonderfully racist. racist. He was wonderfully racist. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, as the Germans say, you know, alles hat ein end, aber ein Wurst hat zwei, which means everything in life comes to an end, but the sausage has two ends. 
This is this is weirdly true and very non-descriptive. So that's quite an interesting one. <laughs> well, the I could keep going with the German, but no, the ethos behind it is like everything in life comes to an end. But you know, a sausage has two ends, or kebab in the Middle Eastern sense. Um, and just basically enjoy food while you can, type thing. You know, forget about enjoy it food, and eat yeah. a sausage. Right. <laughs> Okay, cool. It's a, it's, a, it's a good way to go. Oh, you're Are you both well. telling okay. me that neither of you have ever comfort ate with ice cream? I know I have. Comfort ate with ice cream, but I'm still uncertain. I finished the whole tub in one sitting. To, to I don't eat sweet stuff, really. No? No. Bag of Doritos in your case? Would I eat a bag of Doritos? Yeah, probably would. Oh. Yeah, probably would. Probably eat some Doritos. Uh, yeah, much more of like a... Savory? Yeah. Yeah. So I much prefer crisps and stuff rather than sweet. What would be your go-to comfort munchie? Go-to comfort... Um, uh, probably salt and vinegar crisps. How very... Uh, how's the word? Regional. Okay. Oh, <laughs> is that regional? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just pick, you know, you know how, because, <laughs> no, because like, you know, like a lot of different comedians, uh, they all have a southeast of you, is it? <laughs> no, it's just because, like, I do know for a fact that a lot of comedians sometimes it, it, there's like a love hate relationship for the royal family. Like, some comedians love them, some comedians hate them, some comedians love to hate on the royal family. And like, I personally, you know, as a comedian, it's sort of like, it's your duty to make fun of the Royals, you know, like that's sort of yeah. like, it's a given, you know, because there are very few comedians that will go out on stage and defend the Royals. Yeah, and no, I wouldn't defend the Royals. Especially <laughs> I don't feel strongly enough about them. Like, what do you do? <laughs> go out there and be like, I bloody love them. And people would, I mean, I don't have anything to say about the Royals. I used to do jokes. I got annoyed when everyone was really when it was um, during the second wedding, well, both the first and the second wedding, and it just felt like that dominated our lives the, forever. The Meghan Markle, Harry. And, Harry and Meghan, Meghan, and also William and Kate. It just felt like this just dominated our lives. And the money that was spent on it. But it I, didn't some, make, and, I mean, I didn't really have that much to say about it. Imagine Philip right now. But I can imagine Philip now going, all that money we spent on that wedding. And, and then like, Harry oh, decides to turn his back on the royal family. Well, sod him. Well, the <laughs> thing is, is that I guess if you marry somebody who gives you a view of the outside world, and you'd be like, yeah, let's just leg this. I mean, it'd be horrible. I would, people that like, not that this is something people say, but like the notion of marrying a prince, I can't, I mean, Jermaine Greer said it when Meghan and Harry got married. She was like, that girl is gonna be scrutinized all the time. And I was like, I can't imagine anything worse. Imagine everything you do. I'd be like, Harry, sorry, you're not worth it. Well, I, I, and I speak about- he would be devastated because I'm a cat. <laughs> but <laughs> I heard this like, rumor that- You could pass for 23. I've never met a woman who looks so young. And I'd be like, I, yeah, I know. Get to the back of the line because it's not- I got kids right. and they need feeding. <laughs>
Yalla mama, come on, Prince Harry's outside. I gotta go, my Uber's <laughs> you here. Imagine. Yanni Harry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's, I remember like, I, I'm sure you know your English history, you know, Henry VIII and the Six Wives fiasco or Wives Gate. Yeah as many of the yeah. people in the church would have called it had there been an american journalist at the scene going we're right here live and it seems uh anne boleyn has taken over the throne i believe yes anne boleyn has taken over the throne but catherine is not to be decapitated um uh my mom always used to say that uh henry the eighth could have saved himself a lot of grief and headache if he became muslim could have had four wives yeah i know I don't think he would have wanted four, though. I think he just wanted... I think there was a bit of a power play. Well, imagine he, if the Sultan of Turkey sent an emissary. You can have a harem, Henry. He was a misogynist. Ah. So there you go. So he was like there. an archetypal misogynist more than James yeah, Bond like is. Yeah, like in the little, like, misogynist clubs. That's not like on thing. the scale of but okay, I just so imagine I... lots of little sad men in a misogyny club, and they've all just <laughs> Henry VIII on the wall, going, "Oh, he's living that he lived the dream, old Henry. He did." But then Anna Cleese—he got to kill one of his wives legally with a state-sanctioned execution. I know, I know. But um, Anna Cleese, yeah, she was quite clever because she just made herself so repulsive that he didn't want to sleep with her. So then he couldn't divorce her. So he just had to put her up in a little house. That's his German ingenuity at its finest. Yeah, just make yourself, make yourself completely gross, and then he just had to give her a house and leave her to it, and she just lived out her days in a nice little cottage. It's a bit like you know, if you can name all, it, you know, there's two things the British and the people from the Emirates have in common. Ask Brits, can you name all six of Henry VIII's wives, and then ask Arabs, can you name all six Emirates? Uh, Dubai. That's so true. Abu Dhabi. That's uh, so true. Fujairah, uh, Sharjah. Sharjah. Something called Um Queen, I think. No, no, Russell Kaima. Russell Kaima, and exactly. See, Arabs all struggle. No matter what, whether you're half or full or whatever, no Arab can just. You know, Rolodex just go, oh, yes, of course. It's Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Sharjah, Fujairah, and then the others. Yeah. No, I can't name. I can't name either. I don't think I can name all Henry's wives either. But that's a very interesting observation. Oh, uh, well, I, I noticed you, it I in myself. I hope you do material on that. I beg your pardon? I hope you do material on that. Oh, I, I I hope I get to do material. And so I am actually doing some online gigs. I've got an online gig booked for this month and an online gig booked for March. So I'm starting okay. to, and like this microphone, as you can hear me, especially if I do this, um, it's sort of like sort of going to up my online game. But like, when do you think, because I've heard different people, different speculations about when we're going to get back to normal. Like, when do you think we will get back to normal? Like, live on a stage, not people in their cars. Oh, God. 
<laughs> my friend does a really funny joke because he was like, I thought I was getting a standard ovation, but it just turns out somebody got their horn stuck. Because <laughs> they had to beat the horns to show that they found it funny. And then the guy got his horn stuck and he was like, hey, okay, all right, I get it. You, Oh, no, oh, no, it's a serious mechanical issue. Um, when do I think we'll be back live on stage? I've got no idea. I'm kind of, in my mind, I'm I'm assuming it's not going to happen, that this is it now. No. I don't know. I just think it's best to... I mean, I'd like it to be seen. Oh, so I was out gigging in Dubai recently. Yeah, and you would and, have seen uh, it, like, it's still kind of going on there. Yeah, so it was just being on stage. I felt like I just wanted to throw up again. I was like, oh my god, I miss um, this. And then the moment I got off stage, I was like, oh my God, I miss, I miss live comedy. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. I miss it. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'd love to think it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. When do you think? Well, What's I've always like been... in Egypt now? Well, the scene is still currently going strong. There's, in terms of Alexandria... Can you get me a gig in... Are you in Alexandria? In I'm area. in Alexandria, but the scene is happening in Cairo. So I've got family in Cairo. Yes. So is there, do you reckon if, when it opens up again, do you reckon if I come over to Cairo, I could get a gig there? You could, but you won't get paid very well. No, but if I just came out, if I was coming over anyway, would it be easy to get, get gigs? absolutely it'd be very easy to set one up because like i myself run ronin comedy which cool. i don't know if you can see that but like i have an instagram page and a facebook page for ronin comedy we used to do gigs from 2015 up until 2019 and then we kind of took a bit of a hiatus in 2020 like everyone else um, the Comedy Bunch, who are Alexandria-based. Um, I love Alexandria. Well, they so they up nice. they up. Well, I live right around the corner from Alexandria, and you know, still, like, if you were to see Alex or Cairo now, everybody's just wearing masks but getting on with their lives. So you would see the same traffic mm -hmm. as before, the okay. same whatever. Pedestrians, no social distancing whatsoever. Ironically, though into any government or official building like a bank or whatever they need to check your temperature oh, okay. you know so they've got sanitizers at every establishment so you know but i feel like when i was gigging in dubai like we got uh, up the, out of the airport in dubai and it was just like mm. social distancing and sanitize 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 and everything was kind of like doo -doo 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 -doo. and then we came back to london heathrow and they're like please make sure that you stay two meters apart and then the elevator just broke down so all these people were just crammed like face against each other like you literally like pretty much having to have sexual intercourse with people and you're just like ah and then you'd get off the escalator because we all like trumped down because we'd all been crammed in and then they'd be like please sanitize your hands and it's just all these empty bottles like falling on the floor and i'm like yeah i wonder why it's rife in the uk i wonder why hmm, the uh, coronavirus is kind of rumbling through when we're literally <laughs> everything's just really done like shoddily i honestly uh because sometimes i feel like, I couldn't believe that the UK, which is supposedly first world, was behind Egypt in 2020. Like, Egypt took initiative 
and I'm not saying this as an Egyptian, I'm saying this because it's true. <laughs> Egypt, like two weeks ahead, or maybe even three weeks ahead of Boris Johnson going, right, we're going to close the schools because it's uh, it's obviously there's this thing called COVID. We're not sure. Then mm. he caught it himself. But like, you know, Egypt, they shut down schools, universities three weeks before Britain did. Mm. Well, Britain was really late to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's late, there's fashionably late, and there's, my God, why are you still standing here? The, the staff are cleaning it's up. very strange. Very strange. I find the whole thing very, very strange, the way it was handled. And part of me is like, this is where I feel a little bit gaslit, because part of me is like, is it incompetence? Ooh, gaslighting. Tell us more. But I'm like, is it inc incompetence, or is there a plan? And that's what messes with your head. I feel like the Tory government are like this... Ab I feel, okay. I feel like the British government are like this abusive boyfriend that lays out this beautiful dress on your bed. So you come home, you find flowers everywhere and there's a beautiful dress and it's like, put on the dress, I'm going to pick you up for dinner. And you get dressed up and then you go to the front door and they just turn up and you open the door and they're like, go upstairs, take that off, you look like a whore. Right? <laughs> there's a kitchen, there's a kitchen that needs to be cleaned, we're not going anywhere. And I'm like, I feel that kind of level of abuse with the government where I'm like, is there, is there a plan or are you just incompetent? because Esther, either way it's pretty scary esther i share with you one thing in common which is being proud to be british and proud to be arab heritage and like you i think that is probably the most spot on analogy i won't redo what i did with the episode tom fucking stayed i don't know if you know tom yeah, stayed I know tom. yeah yeah well you should give that a listen that episode because i do a pretty good boris johnson impression with what i think is the thanos initiative <laughs> you know, I think, you know, the whole thing in the UK is called Operation Thanos Initiative. It's, you know, like the fact that cosmopolitan towns are given tier three and then like village suburban areas that but the are fact open that all up, these rules are like implemented four. last minute as well. Suddenly they were like, okay, so there's these tiers and you're in tiers now. And it's like, okay, what, what does that mean? And then they're like, oh, and there's 40. Oh, no, now there's this. It's the most complicated it's just so complicated and so it kind of discombobulates everyone so much that everyone's like i don't know what i'm doing and i'm like is part of me actually would feel a lot better if i thought that this was a plan because i'm like at least if you're planning to completely abuse them <laughs> at least i feel like someone's in charge and has a plan what's even more worrying is if there's no plan <laughs> So it's, uh, yeah, it's very unnerving. And I think, I, I mean, I've got family in Egypt, I've got family in Lebanon, which by the way, for some reason before lockdown, we'd always just been talking over WhatsApp and stuff, but suddenly there was like, well, we'll do a Zoom call. And I'm like, why is it taken a pandemic for us to go, okay, we're gonna have a Zoom call. So we're on Zoom, everyone's talking over each other, they're all screaming. And my son just came and watched for a little while and then just tapped me on the shoulder and went, are you going to tell them that what they're saying doesn't make sense? And I was like, oh, no, no, that's another language. <laughs> it was like, why are all these people talking in this really weird way? I was like, no, they're speaking in Arabic. He's like, oh, okay, so they're aware. All right, sure. <laughs> Do they know that what they're saying isn't English? <laughs> You've got a lovely young Prince Philip there in the making. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so you're a huge racist. We'll deal with that another time. His um, Royal Highness would be proud. But I was like, maybe, I don't know, maybe in Egypt, because the initiative was taken earlier, that people kind of had more faith in there being an understanding of what needed to happen. 
And then in Lebanon, obviously, with the explosion, Oof. you know, Lebanon has been brought to its knees. So I think people are kind of very have a similar feeling of being anti the government and anti their decisions. But also, I mean, you can't have an explosion that big with dust and dust clouds and what that must do to the lungs on top of a pandemic with a virus that also attacks the lungs. And you're like, so then I think with family Lebanon, there's a, there's a fear of like, if I get this, then there isn't the infrastructure to support me and my family. So it, I think every country, the reaction is very much also, um, for, for citizens, I mean, is also indicative of the environment they're in. You know, you mm. look at some countries and you can see there's respect of their government and their leaders and the way they reacted to it. I think with Britain, because of Brexit and so many other things, there's not the respect there. So there is still a large part of the country going, Boris Johnson can do one and I'm not this. And the moment Dominic Cummings went and travelled up north and was like, Nate, <laughs> I, no, I, I had to go and get my eyes tested. So I had to travel very, very far during the lockdown. I had to drive with my poor vision <laughs> through miles and miles of countryside, nearly ran over two vicars on the way there. I yeah, don't know if it's like that, but in my head, all the MPs are like, oh, jolly good, we're going to run over some peasants on the way. But yeah, I mean, I had a problem with my hands, so I just had to do some open heart surgery just to really test them. But um, the moment Dominic Cummings did that, then, you know, teenagers and all the rest of it are just like nah i'm not going to put up with these rules anymore so i think it's definitely a sign a sign of the times and now we've got problems I, with look, vaccine and importing vaccine because of brexit and now we're no longer in europe and it's like well something just like, go right <laughs> in relation to the, the the whole monkey see monkey do mentality of like you know well if the the mps behave barbarically then the children will be indicative to follow suit. Um, because that it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because um, in the school that I, I used to teach at the school and I was teaching during the Arab Spring, which was a very interesting time to be. Yeah, um, yes, okay, sure. Yeah, I was in Egypt during that. And um, it was even more interesting was that after the revolution had taken place and you know the you know school had managed to get back to some semblance of normality with a slightly earlier schedule because of the curfew at night because you know state of emergency scenario and there was a, a teacher that taught the kids felt not appropriate. Like he would always be too fast. His handwriting on the board was horrible. So there was this one instance of the kids having their own miniature revolution by standing on their desks to protest. And then we were like, we want a different teacher. We want a different teacher. So it's sort of like, yeah, the kids do replicate what the adults do. But I mean, I went to a funeral the other week here in Alexandria. And there was like masks, but no social distancing whatsoever because of the the prayer at the mosque. Okay. You know, like we weren't standing next to each other a meter and a half but, apart. We were standing shoulder to shoulder. But this is my issue. Yeah. And I appreciate it may not be popular. But it, we it, love it, we like... love we love controversial on the show with no name. <laughs> Hit us. But... You're in a safe space. <laughs> literally and metaphorically the internet 
which is a safe space, as we all know. No, no the name of the show is Safe Abu Candles, the show with no name. So you're in a safe space. Okay. <laughs> people are like, the internet. Haven't you noticed how people are just really kind and, and really great at debating on the internet? But I, I, my biggest fear is that it, I think like when the lockdown started, Mm. we were all prepared everyone was like okay sure lock this down we're all gonna take part of the rules but now in the uk it's been nearly a year and what you're essentially asking people to do now is to fundamentally change what makes them human and the fact is that human beings need contact otherwise they have very very little to live for i mean it's what makes us human it's what makes us unique Community. So to be yeah so to be at a funeral and not be able to touch and you would have people that would say if you touch at that funeral you are responsible you have blood on your hands ironically you have blood <laughs> on your hands of spreading the disease which i understand if we're putting things in very basic on a whiteboard a plus plus b equals c but also we are human beings we don't function in that way when someone's grieving it's not normal for us to be um socially distanced so there's this kind of like here's what you should do responsibly but also what i can't bear the virus is that it's made us so judgmental of what it means to be human and people are becoming really cruel there's a cruelty there um especially because in the uk we've had things like suicide rates go through the roof and obviously the nhs the National Health Service hasn't been able to provide care for people with cancer. So cancer cases and terminal cancer has gone through the roof. Um, and you're like, so it gets to the point where we have to start addressing that whilst that if you question these things, you're not denying the impact of the virus, but also we have to start to be able to discuss what impacts making people isolate on their own or cutting off human contact, what that does and how it's impacting other services. But if you say that, it can be, oh, you're just this mad conspiracy theorist who hates people, which I find really bizarre. I, I mean, I saw a lot of horrible, if you want to call them debates, but we'll call them what they really are, mud and fecal matter slinging competitions yeah. online between comedians. Yeah. Certain comedians, not all comedians. comedians. Well, this comedians. is the thing. Like, I mean, you piece of shit. When someone you like, conspiracy, <laughs> you tin foil hat wearing bastard. You know, why don't you crawl, <laughs> tell us where Elvis is living now? You know, and all this weird, like you know. Like, should we maybe address the fact that our suicide rates have gone through the roof? Oh, you piece of shit! You just don't care about other humans, and you're like, okay, I just feel like this is not quite connecting. Maybe. No? Okay, I'm just going to back out. <laughs> uh, oh, I learned a lot. I mean, like, I learned to just react. The, the, the best thing is to sort of adopt the African proverb of uh, a lion does not turn his head to the barking hyenas. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day... You love yourself a metaphor, don't you? You are the most... Um, I love me I love metaphors and love sayings <laughs> and proverbs and I love that you're sat on a really regal chair as well. I feel like you are very much this leader and you keep uh, yes and, the way, I... and also because you've got the Arab hand going. Yes, of course. I, I, I love to gesture with hands. 
you know, it's uh, if this if this podcast when I move to UK and it becomes Twitch stream, you know, people will be like, he talks with hands so much. It might be giving us subliminal messages. The government wants to do this to you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, but that's the thing. I like I learned hard from like observing other comedians go down the the bunny hole of self-alienation and i even heard from certain other comedians i'm not going to mention names about the the mental state that other comedians are going through by being the 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 rock against the tide of public opinion so like if for example there's that one comedian that believes that it might be a hoax or that it might be there's an agenda or a hidden agenda or whatever then all the other comedians love to gang up on that comedian and then there's the, you start to see in the comments like i've seen a lot of different comedians i think i think it was andrew uh i always get them confused because they're both white <laughs> andrew maxwell and andrew o'neill i think it was andrew o'neill uh long hair glasses heavy metal comedian oh god if i don't know well he said it best when uh because like there was somebody that seems to always get blocked by everybody else and he See, I commented in the debates but I do you remember. try to get involved in the debates no, no no are you crazy i oh god no i mean either I, i'm like <laughs> i'm arab and muslim and you know it's bad enough like you know i i had to unfriend we're, certain we're enough shit online people are just we like, get... i mean I, I i talk about this in my new show that i got involved in one debate and someone just around and he you don't even look arab what's your problem and i'm like what's that got to do with anything because i was calling out something racist um Sorry, carry on. You don't look Arab. You don't have to worry about that kind of you thing. You don't look Arab. You don't even have one of them headscarf things. What's your problem? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> hey, have a bacon sauna and be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but the, the thing is, like uh, Andrew O'Neill said, uh, when such and such is blocked, look it looks like people are having an argument with a ghost. It's so that that's so true because then all their comments get removed. Yeah, so it's just them arguing themselves, going, "Oh, oh, I see." And another thing. <laughs> that's really funny. It's just like wow, but comedians like to argue a lot. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just putting your energy. In it, but I don't feel like. I feel like if you have conversations to face to face, it's very different to online. I think online, and also, this is something that I've really learned over lockdown is that is that you are not going to convince people to change. That people have to want to change their mind. And just because you, in your heart, think I'm right, but I know I'm right, you're not going to convince people otherwise. Because those people are also sat there thinking I'm right, I'm right, and you have to believe the sources that you're accessing. And if somebody is reading a, a, a source which they genuinely believe in, then you arguing counter with the source that you genuinely believe in isn't going to change their opinion. So, you know, you can voice your opinion, but if somebody says, I don't agree with you, there is zero point in battling out. Zero. Unless you want to have that argument. But also, I believe that it needs to happen face to face. But even when it happens, I'm just, just I'm, I'm, this is... Esther just having a debate by herself, which has happened a lot over lockdown, where you're just in a room <laughs> going, and another thing, you drive me crazy. <laughs> um, 
I think people very rarely walk away from a debate and go, I've completely changed my opinion. I think they may just may be aware of what other people will tolerate or what maybe isn't going to go down well in a discussion. But I don't think we really change people's ideas. I think we used to, though. Comedians used to. I mean, Bill Hicks said it. Well, Bill Hicks said it the best, which is stand up comedy is the last bastion of free speech. Yeah, when you can point out things that are true, I've had that before. I've had that before where somebody has come up to me and gone, when you said that, I suddenly realised that is something I've done. Hmm. And that I think is quite interesting. If you make a joke and someone's like, huh, oh God, I do that. Then you, I think you can make people reflect. Did you hear that article that says if you have a dark sense of humor, you may get Alzheimer's when you're older? I feel like those, I feel like someone at Disney came up with that article. Someone's like, I don't like people that like dark things. The way they portrayed Mickey Mouse in South Park was unfair. There's a new article. I think anybody who likes dark humor that finds like any dark jokes, they're going to get Alzheimer's and AIDS. And the editor was like, you can't put that. We'll get rid of the AIDS, but we'll leave the Alzheimer's in. I don't know. um, What do you think? (laughs) I No, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. No, I can't believe in that. There'll be loads of evidence to to counteract that. I mean, maybe if you're quite a negative thinker, then you maybe you your brain might deteriorate a little bit quicker. Maybe that's not particularly mentally healthy, and that might yeah. link to having a dark sense of humour. But I mean, exactly. There's like a world of difference between having a dark sense of humour and then having dark negative energy from within you consume you, which would deteriorate you. So yeah. yeah. But then some people, well, I don't know. I don't know. I think people want to virtue signal a lot. And I think people want to make out that they're they're a lot more positive and enlightened and and aware of what's right. So I think it's quite destructive. Chinese proverb, fool who speaks remains a fool, yet fool who remains silent is deemed wise. (laughs) There you go. Do you read a lot of Christmas crackers? <laughs> Fortune cookies, yes. Provide excellent source of wisdom. <laughs> as well as like, old films filled with racial home. undertones. <laughs> so, um, like, in terms of comedy, because, like, I, I find your career, like, out of all the guests I've had so far, like, I've had a comedian that's been doing it for about eight years another one that's been doing it about nine years another one that's been doing it nearly 20 years another one that's been doing it like a lot of them have been in like in the nearing a decade and above and you've literally had like one of the shortest careers that suddenly got like halted but you're still kind of doing those online gigs like i mean do you see yourself still wanting to pursue it even after lockdown and so on and so forth yeah well at the moment i'm still making enough that it's still able to pay my wage uh if it stops paying a wage then Mm. yeah i will have to uh you know throw in the towel but while it's still able to pay for bills then I will keep it going because I, 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 I'm very fortunate that I've managed to find something that I really enjoy and turn it into a career. And I'm very, very, very lucky that that's happened. Jules? 
I'm sorry, my mic just spritzed and beeped at me and it threw me off. <laughs> Something flashed and beeped and I was like, what happened? Um, aside, aside from the financial implications of, you know, the, the industry right now, there's a lot, there's a lot that lockdown has shifted for us. Um, you know, uh, like yourself, I'm fortunate. I've, I've been able to maintain status quo at least you know, through, through the last year and a half. And I have, but I have a, I have a second career that allows me, allows me to pursue what I want. Mm -hmm. But there's always, there's always the aspect of then, you know, the rest of your life, you know, you've got, you've got the kids, you've got a family, you've got, you know, I'm sure other things, your own, your own interests that you're pursuing. How do you, how do you maintain your creative flow? in the midst of all of that? How do you continue producing content and all of that? How does that work? I think <clears throat> that I don't, well, I think while something is consuming me, which it is at the moment, it keeps me working hard. So the opportunities have, have been fortunate enough that I've been able to just keep writing, keep performing. Um, and keep developing and I think now that I've managed to get it to a status that it is my job and my career means that I've kind of now got the respect within my family structure that this is my job and whilst it's great because it actually allows me a lot of freedom that mums who work um in finance or or in all sorts of careers where they're doing you know eight till six and then they've got to get up and sort children out and drop them off at childminders and then blah 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 blah. and it has these knock-on effects i'm very fortunate that um my career yes it means that i travel normally uh for uh gigging but on the whole i'm able to do all school drop-offs pickups after school clubs play dates blah 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 put the kids to bed and then I go out and I gig or I, I come into my little room and I, and I do my gigs online. So it actually allows me a lot of flexibility, but it also means that my time is really, really, really precious. So in a way it's quite good because it's put a lot of pressure on me to make things work and to write and to keep things relevant. And also I'm, I mean, I'm somebody who I am quite reflective so I will continuously try and develop. I'm not somebody who's going to go, this is my horse and I'm just going to beat it to death. Like I am trying to reflect on work that I've done and develop that and to think about how my ideas are changing. And now I'm doing my new show. I'm doing my new show on the 13th online, hashtag not all men. But mm. in that, it, there's a lot of reflection in Crusade and how that was being... Um, how that was being, yeah how that was being interpreted and and it still takes a lot of material from that that i really enjoy and and i really love but also it's interesting other people's perceptions so i try and keep a kind of level of pressure to make sure that i keep working and developing with your time like i i understand the time being very precious very precious from a very different perspective um but but my my time is very very precious to me mm. and one of the one of the things that crops up though is writer's block creative block what happens when you're sitting there and you have that thing to figure out and you're just like feels like you're beating your head on a wall how do you how do you combat that how do you work through that or what is your process for writer's block or anything like do you have any shareable secrets for our creative listeners that i always have to say things out loud at a gig 
So I write down the structure. So what I tend to find is that if I write down a, a, a set or, a, you know, a joke, and mm. I, I, then this has always been the case with me is that I overwrite. I overexplain things. Good. I, well, because I kind of, I guess I, I overarticulate a point, but then when I go and perform it, I tend to find that there's one line that the audience find mm -hmm. funny so that I can just shrink it right down. So mm. I try and do as much new material gigs as I can so that I can say my thoughts out loud and then I can take the little snippets that actually work, which obviously isn't mm. great for your audience because they've got to sit through a lot of, a lot of crap. But uh, it is good in terms of getting it out there. I'm not very good at writing an idea down and able to just sit and write and get it really articulated down. I have to get it out. Yeah. I have to, I have to say it. I mean, verbally, I'm a lot stronger anyway than on paper. So I find that articulating something out and reading it out um, is probably. Is Andy probably Dufresne swam through 500 yards of sewage water and came out on the other side smelling like roses. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but that's the thing is like, because it's, it's when you said you write too much or uh, I mean, the reason why I think that that's a good thing is because some people think that certain art forms are like obviously aging ballerinas are not able to have the same durability on the tips of their toes on stage at age 60 as they were when they were 21. But musicians and comedians in particular tend to share that sort of like as they age their comedy. So like when next year when you turn 24, you know, your comedy is going to evolve. And then the year after that, when you're 25 and so on and so forth. And then, you know, seven years from now, when you're turning 30, your comedy is going to take that evolutionary of like, oh my God, I'm 30, you know, usual as a parent and stuff and so on. Really but it's that. really hard, you know, especially Netflix. Um, <laughs> mommy needs to put an age garret. No, I'm sorry. Um, uh, I speak out of ignorance as a parent because, like I said, I have no children that I know of. But um, with comedians and writers, writing too much is sometimes better and beneficial because it's always easier to subtract, remove, edit the unnecessary than trying to think of a filler or what could go next or that place. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And that definitely works for me. I mean, when, when I first started comedy, um, my boy was a baby. So the only time really I had for writing was um, when he was asleep, but he would sleep in the pram. So I would be pushing the pram and then just recording my set. And that's when I used to write my set is when he was sleeping and I'd just be recording whilst he was while he was napping but i didn't have the time to sit down and like sit and work so i'm i'm kind of uh fortunate now that i've got the time to sit and, and put things like pen to paper but i i don't know why just as soon as you spoken i don't know why but as you said to describe the pushing the pram and reciting it i don't know why i got that image of walter white in breaking bad 
when he's carrying his baby born daughter and he starts saying daddy made a lot of money making crystal meth <laughs> you know i don't yeah. know why i've got it would be because it was that... just completely co inappropriate content of me just like uh, ranting and raving into into my phone whilst my baby innocent baby boy is just sleeping not all men <laughs> <laughs> not all men not, all <laughs> not men. you son <laughs> as we come to wrapping up uh, the the show with no name podcast, which for this episode we kind of store we steered away from the usual greeting because I had technical issues, which it's fine. It happens. Technical issues happen all the time in COVID era. Um, is is there anything that you would like our listeners to focus on, like a blog you got going or a YouTube channel? Uh, well, I've got a podcast called No Nation, uh, where I speak Ooh. to people of um, dual heritage. So that's, I mean, it's it's a mixture of, there's a few comedy people on there, but there's also like TV producers and presenters and um, and what it's like growing up between two cultures. Um, mm. So that, um, you can get the link on my Instagram. Um, and then uh, I'm doing my online show on Saturday the 13th is that uh, free or paid with a link that's paid with a link um uh, that's through the leicester comedy festival you see so it was going to be at in leicester um in a in a small venue but now it's all moving to online um but yeah those are the two things that i would promote at the moment well as you love all these quotes and you asked me you know do i think when we will get back to stage life stage life <laughs> is the only way i know stage life um i think the quote by jrr token where there's life there's hope and that was that was said by sam to frodo as they were walking to mount doom so they were in a shitty situation kids <laughs> i don't know i think people i i mean I think people really enjoy going out and watching live performances. So I'm hoping that that will drive the industry to return. I just, I, I just hope that there hasn't been so much damage done that it struggles to return. I think, I mean, if I was to be a, a, a I mean, I think there, there's always going to be a desire, especially in the local circuit for people to try and create socially distant, responsible, you know, manageable yeah, outdoor. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, somebody else said this to me, whether it's going to be kind of like the end of maybe bigger venues that have kind of monopoly, monopolized um, the comedy scene because they're not sustainable with COVID regulations. And maybe it will be lots and of, you don't. of pop up venues. Yeah, lots of small pop-up venues that can be malleable and and can adapt it's a new you know? dawn it's a new day Ooh. and i'm looking for the gigs <laughs> dead end <laughs> esther you've been a phenomenal guest on the, the show with no name thank um you no no thank you for accepting and not thinking i was like some weird do you have i am contacting you on behalf of the late princess zamunda 
in Lagos, Nigeria. She has left you $14 trillion. I need your bank details so I can make the transfer. Well, I was just relieved that, you know, you weren't some somebody who was getting in contact just to have a go at me. <laughs> God no. It's always nice. It's always nice. I do a joke about that as well. Like all these guys that I gig with, they're like, oh my God, look at all these messages I get from women. Just all these like hot women. And I'm just scrolling through. <laughs> you Arab piece of shit. You're a bad <laughs> <laughs> Or Arab guys going, why aren't you covered up? Or, oh, you, you clearly talk like that. You must be a cheap whore. So do you want to put sex? And I'm just like, just be really nice if I got a nice message from just one person. And lo and behold, you got a message going, would you appear on my podcast? Oh my God. (laughs) I was hoping for this. I I actually, I get nice messages, but mainly from from women, which is really lovely. I mean, I was saying that you often get women saying, I don't really find find women funny, but I always get messages if there's Arab women in the audience or Muslim women in the audience um, or women who have children, they always seem to be those women that come and seek me out on social media to write me something very nice and, and positive. So I'm going to say yeah. a big thank you to them. And they kind of balance all the crazy mentalists who think I should be murdered publicly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think any negative juju your way. In fact, I wish a lot of positive juju your way. Um, thank you. No, 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 no. Thank you. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, yeah, um, it's always lovely to have you on the on the show. I mean, like it will be for future episodes. If you ever, if you're not too riding high on the red carpet of success, if you have time for us little people down below, you know. Well, I'll come to, when I come to Cairo. It was funny. My son, he, I, I don't know why he comes out with these random things that he was on a class. I think it must be really funny for teachers having to teach kids on Zoom. And the teacher like explained the task that they had to do. And it was like some maths task. And she went, does anyone have any questions? And my son just put his hand up. She's like, yes. And he just went, I have family in Egypt. <laughs> and she was like, good. Okay, so for... <laughs> I'm like, How much is due next to? week? <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah, like, why I've... did that just come to mind? He was like, I was just thinking about it. And I was like, oh, because he's daydreaming in his head. And being a child, he doesn't realize that that should be kept internal. <laughs> but how old is he when he's, how old he's is he? five. Yeah, that's the age group. Cause like, I used to hate it when the headmaster asked me to cover those like lower infant, like below grade four, which is like under age of nine. It's a lot harder to map. Cause I'm used to dealing with middle school and high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm used to doing, hey, yeah. not that attitude. You'll get detention. Yeah. I'm used to doing that. Yeah. So again, but I'm not, I'm not like, that. Everyone sit but... down and they all just wander around and you're like, oh. So like, you <laughs> know, I'm grade three starting to teach and starting to say, okay, now today we're learning about landmarks. And this kid puts his hand up and I'm like, yes. And he goes, I have a fire truck at home. I was like, <laughs> that's lovely. Sit down and we'll continue with landmarks. <laughs> but also because sitting on zoom they're just switching off because it's just completely unengaging for them so they can just switch off but i do find it where's barney (laughs) he just out of the blue thought i'm just gonna tell them i've got family in egypt because that just occurred to me (laughs) 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 your little world (laughs) bless his heart (laughs) i know so uh yeah so i'm gonna have to take him to egypt now 
so that he can uh, see the family. So when I do come over, I'll be in contact. Yes, no, no. <laughs> I'll be in let me know. And you can put on. <laughs> well, if you let me know ahead enough in time, I can definitely try and organize a show for you. I will do my best. That'd be amazing. Bi'ithnillah, inshallah. I can't make the guarantee. Inshallah. Yeah. Just turn up. Okay. Just be me and, and seven open mic comics. I wouldn't <laughs> mind. <laughs> well, you might get your wish. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you might get your... Because uh, I was going to say in Cairo, there is... El I'm going to say this slowly because Tom State thought I was saying Hezbollah. So there is El Hizb El Comedy, yeah. as well as Comedy Bunker and Comedy Monster. So there's a lot of different operators in Cairo now, and you know they will be able to hopefully help See, facilitate. I didn't and think I you were saying Hezbollah. <laughs> no, that's because you have an ear for the Arabic language. <laughs> also, the fact that you say anything in Arabic, <laughs> people are just like, sorry, something about terrorism. Is that what? <laughs> is that something a brown person with a beard would say? Women, is that? <laughs> we don't stone women. We 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 look for women who get stoned, but no no women. Their parents say no. You can't go with that boy. You you get you stoned. Well, this is. I mean, that's another interesting thing is that if you talk about, for example, very small pockets where there are certain issues or whatever, it's just brandishing a whole area. But that's what I talk about in my new show as well is the fact that the whole of the Middle East has been fictionalized, so we don't really understand the different nuances. And that was something that I learned from my first show that you can talk about everything you talk about politics you can talk about people in the uk and a uk audience in fact everyone will watch it and go ah, i understand i could go and watch an american comedian and they can talk about republicans democrats hipsters i understand the nuances of what it means to be american but they're being different groups of people mm. you talk about the middle east you talk about one thing in the middle east and everyone's like that's the whole area and you're like oh man no you can't there is no comprehension of nuances in the Middle East because it's been so fictionalized in its representation. Coming next episode, Fifty Shades <laughs> of Arab. I know. I know. That's, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. And that's why, I mean, you get so many of these stereotypes, which are so funny when you hear them. Mm. But it's come from a place of it being purely fictionalized. As you know. I do. You've got a I proverb do. about it. Yeah, you got something. No, there, there, there is no proverb to overcome ignorance and stupidity, um, except maybe Martin Luther King's. We live in an age of guided missiles and misguided men. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. You've managed to find one. Those I always one do. I always do. They... <laughs> There's a quote and a proverb for everything and anything. You just put your mind to it. <laughs> But no, this is, I mean, this is, this is what I love is, you know, um, I realized when I first started doing comedy that every time I said the word Arab on stage, you felt, and I think it's changing a little bit now, but you'd feel this, especially in kind of places outside of London and cities where, um, Derbyshire. <laughs> yeah. Places which are a little bit more remote, but also I learned something as well, because there'd be times where I would say that I was Arab and somebody said to me, why do you say Arab? Why don't you say Lebanese? And I was like, because. Arabs had a really that word has been demonized for so long it's it's almost lost what it means and it's become something negative and I really want to normalize the word and I want to because it's something I'm very proud of 
But then there were times when I'd learn Look. something. <laughs> like I would go into a gig and go, oh, they're going to hate me. It's going to be hell. And then you'd have the loveliest, or you know, the comedian, yeah, have the loveliest time. And then afterwards, um, you'd end up sitting having conversations with people from the audience where you're just like, oh my God, this has just been an absolute delight. But I was genuinely terrified, like being pushed on stage, like, oh no, they're going to they're gonna want me dead. And then you just, you, you're, every one of your preconceptions has been completely shot to shit. And that's why I've really enjoyed doing comedy because every time I've sat there and gone, I'm, this, I'm judging this room, you're always mm. surprised. And it works the other way where you're like, this is going to be amazing. And then you walk off stage going, okay, let's never mention that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I, 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 I sent me death threats. <laughs> I'm just walking out. I read in one of your, I did read in one of your interviews where you talked about like trying a joke and no one in the room except one person laughs. I used to love that, that you joke. really find funny, like a joke you find funny, but nobody <laughs> in the audience finds funny except that one person. It would happen every time. It was a joke about, so basically the setup is people are, are going to think, oh, she's caught her husband watching porn. And I would say, I'm so sick of catching him watch, I'm catching him watching videos about uh, the world's biggest ships. And everyone, even when you're saying world's biggest, they're like, nah, she's going to say tits or whatever. But it was the fact that I said ships and it would always be like one person that would tickle and they would sit laughing and it would just be me and that person while the rest of the room are like, yes, it's not funny though, is it? And you're like, oh, I love that joke. It's always one person, me and one person bond over that joke. I had to retire it. Oh. Oh, well, maybe you just put it on the blueprint on the black to the design board and, you know, yeah, rejig it. I might do that actually. World's biggest ships. And a true story. I genuinely walked in on him going, What are you watching? He's like, Video on world's biggest ships. And I'm like, You're so weird. What goes on that little boy? What's going on in that little head of yours? Well, you don't argue. Well, you never I... articulate your thoughts and you're just watching your little film about the world's biggest ships. Well, instead of the world's, <laughs> instead of world's biggest ships, maybe change it to something that. You know, everyone can kind of relate to like. Uh, I think it's oh, I was. <laughs> I was watching a video on um, uh, uh, anti-max or like I don't know, like something maybe not too. Uh, you know, I, I was watching a documentary on Diana on YouTube. I think, yeah, I think maybe yeah, it's got to be maybe yeah. I know, I it does need rewording. A shower, but I haven't done it for years anyway. But I do remember at the time it really tickling me. But it would always be like one person, always a young guy that would always tickle him, and everyone else would just be like, hey, you know. But anyway, just, just one nerd in the back, <laughs> one nerd who's like, I'll watch those because <laughs> I'm that asshole, I'm the one who just laughs when nobody else does. <laughs> Especially if they're nerd jokes. Especially if they're nerd jokes. I have no shame. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done gigs like where you walk in and everyone looks really like young and hipster and you're like, oh, they're going to be really down with my vibe. They're going to love this kind of like feminist stuff. They're going to love me talking about my Arab heritage. And you're like, okay, you know when people are too cool to laugh? And you're like, yeah, but horrible. some people yeah. do that. It always makes me go like, is there, do you have, are there like words in your brain? Like, do you have thoughts? <laughs> 
can you, can, you, can you form an opinion of something I tell you that's not on a tile on Instagram? Can we, can we? Or then, and it's always like, the, I was talking to, so I do a lot of um, comedy stuff with um, a, a comedian called Fatah Al Ghori, and she's um, Moroccan. She wears Moroccan. a and I was, yeah, and I was saying, yeah, yeah Labrador Grove, massive. <laughs> As if she represents <laughs> the Labrador. I'm not saying yeah. she is. No, but, she's not, but I do, yeah. But she is massive in terms of, like, you know, presence. Like, you know, she's got, she's gone. Yeah, she's fiery. But I said yeah. to her, I was like, even though she's a hijab-wearing comedian, she turned to me and she was like, oh, if there's loads of hijabis in the audience, I always worry. And I'm like, I always worry when there's loads of hijabis in the audience. Why do you worry? You're wearing a hijab. She's like, and but I, we were both talking about it. We're like, we've got this preconception, but they're always the best. Like, you always panic. It's for some reason, it's like, if you see loads of women in the audience that look like your mum, you're like, oh God, they're going to hate this. And it's so lovely and delightful and brilliant when you see people who you have a preconception of because you think they're morally superior or, you know, they're going to, you know, feel that they're too pure and be it age or religion or anything. And it's always brilliant when those people are just the best audience members. Well, I'll wrap up with two things. One... Okay. There is an Egyptian comedian you should look up, Noha Kato. She was the first woman stand-up in Egypt. Okay. Like stand-up comedian, not the first woman to stand up in Egypt. That would be really weird. Amazingly. All the other women Amazing just walk people. along, you know, dragging their butts because they have worms, along with all the other guys. That's why the streets are so weird and slimy. But anyway, um, she was the first uh, Egyptian woman stand-up, and she used to wear the headscarf, and then she decided to take it off, you know. And it's, I think that's the other thing is like, because like I remember there was this gig I once did in Scotland years ago, uh, in a really rurally, rurally like mega rural area that we thought because the majority of the audience were elderly that we had to watch what we say and so me and the other comedians on the lineup we all reigned in our material we you know made it go from you know rated r down to pg <laughs> fun for the whole family and um they came to us afterwards and a lot of the audience members were like going did you maybe like cut it and tone it down a wee bit and we were like um yes well we were hoping you wouldn't be holding back so much we were hoping you'd let rip we wanted the dark material you know they were like and it was one of those it's the weirdest thing you never know the audience whether they're going to no. be pro dark or anti-dark I was doing a gig once in North London and my friend, he was really hungover and he was having to perform. And there was this woman in the front row and she was like, she was wearing a sari. And she was just, she just looked like someone's gran. And she was just this like little tiny thing. And he was talking and <laughs> she just heckled him out the blue, but the heckle was perfect. And it had the room in absolute stitches. And he was like, out of this entire room, the last person I thought was going to tear into me was you because she just looked like the most sweetest, innocent thing. And she just literally, she cut him down like that. And he was like, you've broken me. Grandma, you've broken me. Are you happy now? And she was like, a little bit, yeah. I feel like I really proved myself. <laughs> I was like, fucking brilliant. I have gotten a bit of the schadenfreude, as the Germans say. <laughs> 
joy at other people's misery. So, um, Esther Manito, you've been a phenomenal guest. Thank you so uh, much thank for you having so much us. For having me. Sorry I know you're trying up. to avoid going back to the kids, which is why you're trying to <laughs> delay the inevitable wrapping up. <laughs> so anyway, what, what's everyone's thoughts on uh... <laughs> Biden? <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I do have to go back downstairs to my children. But thank you so much for... Yes, this has been lovely. Shokran jazeelan. Seriously, thank you so much for being on our show. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, anytime for last on monday was it i can't remember uh i was supposed to be monday and then because you had some online uh issues with the schooling of uh i think it was your daughter you had yeah, problems with was, that it was a bit of a meltdown on monday but yeah apologies for that so glad mm. we got to do this don't worry about it um esther as always funny as Fox trots. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to swear at the last time in case you were like, look, this no. is what mommy does. <laughs> she makes people <laughs> laugh, darling. I don't know why I keep imagining you with a Joanna but Lumley you, posh uh, voice. Yeah, you every time you've as well, it's the generic British accent, isn't it? People are like, oh my God, that's how they talk. Um, and then and then I'm kind of like this big disappointment. I say, Clive, she's one of the locals, you know, from that up north area. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Esther Menito, thank you so much for being our guest on the show with No Name podcast. Uh, do give the other episodes a listen because. Do. Yes, yes, no, because we need the numbers. <laughs> we need help. We need help. We need help. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I was doing the alien from Galaxy Quest before anyone goes, was he being? No, it's the, you know, you are our last hope. So um, if you haven't seen that film, that's a good film to watch with the kiddies. Yeah, I think I have seen that. I'm going to watch it again, though. You've reminded me it's a good film. Uh, thank you very much. And Julia, thank you so much for being uh, an amazing co-host. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Nice to meet you both. And you never know, maybe one day we'll see each other in the flesh. In Socially person, distanced with masks. Well, learning our Qurans in Chinese. Over. Hopefully pandemic over and back to human interaction. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens. Apparently, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to start on my... <laughs> I, I, I will leave you alone. Don't make me go back down there. No, no. <laughs> oh, now go. Walk out the door. Your parents are having you. Alrighty. Okay. Well, take care and uh, hopefully uh, speak soon. And, and thank you for having me. And I'm sorry that you're going to have to edit about seven hours out of my rambling. Oh. oh God, no. 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 It's not like, it wasn't like Izzy Lawrence's episode where I tried to relate what the word fuck buddy might be in Saudi Arabia, which we're still leaving in the episode for for context. What, she asked what they would call that in Saudi? No, I, she was talking about fuck buddies, and then I just said, for our Saudi listeners, oh, fuck buddy is, and then I had no, what would <laughs> no, the Arabic no. be for fuck buddy? <laughs> For our Saudi listeners, I don't know. Maybe you'd, I, I, yeah, I don't know. You'd have to ask. Um, maybe ask a Saudi 
person to uh, to translate translate that. I think know. the closest I think I can hear my my Gulf heritage saying "Aib," which would probably just be what it would be, yeah, which is Arabic for "Shame on you! How dare you call that dirty?" <laughs> well, fair enough. It's quite an aggressive thing to relate to another <laughs> human being like that. Like, just call it, you know, yeah, casual sex. I mean, fuck buddy just seems to be a very kind of aggressive. <laughs> I met the most delightful fuck buddy on Tinder. It's not like, <laughs> I mean, no one wants that for everyone. <laughs> Sorry, I sound really judgmental. I don't mean to. Of course, do what you want. But I just think the term. I remember, we, like, we used to say "dump" for breaking up with people when we were kids. We were like, oh my god, I like, totally dumped him. I remember my dad going, "This is horrible. Just say you ended the relationship. Why dump? None of yeah. nice." Seems like, like unnecessarily harsh. Yeah, just seems unnecessarily aggressive. Anyway, I'm gonna say. I agree with your dad. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> why say dump? Dump is not what I do. Number it's two in toilet. Why? Why? Why are you saying relationship like number two? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, I'm going to leave you to it because I've got children yeah. that are passing notes under the door, going dinner? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a Please. good night, Esther. <laughs> Thank you. So nice to meet you. Take care, guys, and speak soon. Salam alaikum. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was Esther Manito on Safe Up Candles, the show with no name podcast. An episode that was unorthodox because of technical difficulties, but that's just the way the world is. You roll with the punches, people. Jules, thank you. Yeah. And to our listeners, peace be upon you. Namaste and all that jazz. Yeah.